Hello everyone and welcome back to the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 61 and today we have a very special guest, Kyle Connor from Out of Spec Studios. If you haven't seen his videos before, Out of Spec does a ton of different car reviews, news videos, and even tech videos. Kyle has a ton of experience with electric vehicles and recently had the chance to test drive the BMW iX, which he's here to tell us about today. So, without wasting any more time, hi Kyle, how are you and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I've been a fan of BMW Blog for as long as I can remember, so really cool to be able to do this podcast with you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, we've been trying to connect for quite some time, so um, without any further ado, tell us more about you. Tell us what you do. Tell us about your YouTube channel. A lot of people from the electric car world know you, but uh, just in case some of our, you know, petrol heads uh, might have not heard of your, of your channel. Yeah, so we have um, a bunch of channels here. So basically, we're based in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with a, you know, typical automotive outlets like BMW Blog, like Motor Trend, like Car and Driver, Motor One, etc. And yeah, we're essentially a new startup in the space. We um, have been going for about four years now, so maybe not so new, but sort of expanding a lot of um, channels, or I should say traditional automotive media have um, written sites and they can post a variety of articles. I'm sure as a lot of the listeners to this podcast know on YouTube, you really need to find your niche and stick with it. So we have 11 active and working YouTube channels, everything from brand new channels to uh, ones that are pretty popular. And um, one of the ones is uh, called Out of Spec Reviews, where I recently, and we typically do our full vehicle reviews. We don't just do cars we'll do motorcycles and micro mobility and other things as well but cars are our bread and butter and um yeah so basically we're like uh you know these traditional print then move to online for automotive coverage and now we're doing the the youtube side of the world and, and of course other video platforms and yeah we just review and test stuff and make videos right kyle so uh, you just recently went to ces and you filmed some video for us and they're fantastic but tell me more about what you saw there from the bmw standpoint but also like just overall automotive i feel like there were quite a few things even though some of the automakers kind of canceled their plans to go there so unfortunately uh, the presence was smaller than was supposed to but um, i know you filmed the um, you know the, the the new BMW theater screen, of course, the uh, the color changing one, which is fantastic, and um, the other one I think was the iX M60 and some other BMW stuff there. Yeah, so BMW by far had the best display, not only in automotive, but I would say at the entire uh, CES that I at least experienced, and so. Uh, they went heavy in this year, for sure. Big budget, big stand. They always have done big CES stuff in the past. Remember the old uh, the i3 lounge concepts? They would have the little i3s yeah. driving around. And so, yeah, they've always done uh, you know a highlight of their e-mobility products. But I would say this year was especially large. And also um, quite interesting that they were letting your average attendee, you know, usually people in the industry go to the CES, um, they let their average attendee uh, drive the cars on the street. So you could go and drive, um, you know, BMW i4, BMW iX, which not even most automotive media have driven these cars yet. And if you attended, you could. So 
CES, yeah, as you mentioned, quite a few automakers had backed out from in-person events. It still was a large show, in my opinion, great showing of people, a lot of excitement in the air, especially for sort of, you know, automotive uh, uh, supply companies more than anything. Every other stand had an autonomous section. Every other stand had this sensor for this application and this LiDAR. And so really, I think CES is becoming more important to automotive than some of the traditional automotive shows in the past. Um, but by far, BMW had a great display. It was a little bit off in the corner where they typically are. So you see them from the street walking up. Um, and yeah, the, the first thing you're greeted with when you walk in is this color changing IX, which has a really cool e-ink technology. And I think to be brutally honest, the first time we've seen a widely positive story about IX. Don't get me wrong, the iX is a wonderful driving vehicle. I have a full review on it. It's, I think, one of the best driving BMWs on sale today for its intended purpose, actually. But everyone can't get over the styling, styling at least that from what I've seen. And yeah. now you have this cool color-changing technology with this new product that's been struggling to get mass acceptance. And I think it was a really smart move for them to pair this e-ink technology with iX. Um, and, and it really turned a, oh, look how weird the front of the iX looks into, this is really freaking cool. And everyone loved the color changing. Yeah, the booth booth was really insane. If you haven't watched yet, if you go to BMW Blog's YouTube channel uh, and some written articles, you'll see some videos myself and my colleague Jordan made, uh, you know, sort of going through the full experience. But we got to sit in presumably the new Electric 7 Series, which is very close to launch. Very excited for this car and got to experience the BMW theater screen, which drops down from the ceiling. One of the best sound systems. I believe it's a Bowers and Wilkins 30 speaker sound system now. It is, yeah. And and I don't know if Bowers and Wilkins is owned by Harman. I think they are. So it's basically Bang & Olufsen, Bowers and Wilkins, Harman Kardon are all one company at different levels. But why would BMW go from a Bang & Olufsen branded system to a Bowers and Wilkins? Do you guys know? Uh, actually, no, I never asked. And um, is there a sound quality difference? I mean, I know that, you know, Bang & Olufsen, they're, they're known for their, you know, superior sound usually, but I've never really put them head-to-head -head with, uh, you know, Bowers and Wilkins, honestly, to see if they are any different. Yeah, and, and it depends because I, I think you would need to have the, the both systems designed for one application to really get a difference. For Even, for example, like, in the Volvo world, they use Bowers and Wilkins, and in their 90 uh -huh. series cars, XC90, V90, S90, uh, the, some of the best sound systems in the world just because you have so much space, the sub's really strong, but then you get into their 60 sure. series cars, and it's like, it's good, but it's not as good as the 90s. Yeah. So I, I don't know brand name for brand name if it's better or worse, but I do think it's interesting that back in the days when I was really into BMW, uh, you know, they, they were, they were uh, banging Olufsen. You know, when, when you'd get in the five, six, seven series, the top lines, you could option the B and O typically if you got the the mid spec engine or higher. And yeah, now it's now it's Bowers and Milkins, not sure, but thirty speaker four D surround system, really interesting. They have these subwoofers and little vibrators built into the seats themselves. So when you get a bass heat hit or a really low frequency audio tone, especially if it's a a um, you know sort of at high amplitude, you, your seat shakes and you feel it. And it's not the first time I've experienced this. I actually recently tested the new um, S Class that had a Burmester 4D system in it that had more aggressive um, sort of in seat 
stuff, which I actually turned down. I was like, that's kind of silly. But uh, I thought the BMW, at least the way they had it set up for their theater display, was tasteful, fully encompassing sound in the car, really nice spatial audio, um, really filling. And that's from the back seat, which you typically don't get as well. You know, front seat audio is where it's at. That's where you want to be. And I yeah. thought they did an amazing job in the rear seat audio quality in that that new, presumably electric 7 Series demo. Uh, tell me, uh, what did you see inside the car? So um, anything as far as the interior design of that car that was unique and different? I'm trying to get an idea of what to expect. I don't think anything's going to be that shocking when this car launches. I mean, we've seen with the G Series cars sort of this iteration going from the F Series. Um, the 7 Series is going to be probably the first of the next ish here with the electric i i don't think it's going to be as wild as ix inside though we couldn't see or tell anything what i got was a really great you know rear seat experience tons of headroom for a sedan is always a challenge so that was interesting especially a battery electric sedan where presumably you need a thicker underfloor um, area i thought that my legs had a ton of room to dip down again something unique uh, with battery electric uh, vehicles is that you know you can't have these big scallops or dips in the floor without cutting into your battery range and so vehicles like Tycon or Lucid Air in certain configurations actually remove cells in the rear footwell area so that your legs can sit lower. I'm not saying BMW did or didn't do that, but I thought that my legs dipped really nice and down. They weren't, my knees weren't in my face like they are in the back of a Model S. Um, so that was really interesting. Of course, material quality was great. There were screens inside of the like right next to the door handle grab in the back of the seven which i had never seen this type of small display built into the door before it was really interesting i like that quite a bit um, but but couldn't tell anything in the interior they had blankets over everything and so it was all sort of camouflaged out even the outside of the car was in this like box <laughs> that they put around the vehicle and the only thing showing was the rear door entry which a large rear door it's, but it's definitely going to be, I would say, a direct competitor with Lucid Air, by far more luxurious than a Model S, and way more space than a Taycan. So if you're looking for a chauffeured you know, vehicle that's going to be battery electric, the Lucid Air is really not it at this point until they, they launch their executive rear seat. So I hope that this is going to be, you know, it's really only going to, going to be the only option. EQS isn't really a chauffeur kind of car either. So I'm excited for this. Gotcha. Very interesting. Very interesting. I was actually just going to ask about the EQS. So the EQS doesn't have the same sort of backseat space as what you experienced in that CES car? So I just drove the EQS 53 AMG, which is like their, you know, sort of max trim, at least for now. I don't know if they'll have a 63 or not, but uh, in one of the cars on the, I was on the international launch for that car. One of them had a rear seat, I don't think it was called the executive rear seats. It's not as nice as a normal S-Class, we'll put it that way. And I would mm -hmm. say that the upgrade, the one-up rear seat was about where the normal S-Class starts. So you can option uh, rear screens, but it's not like you get heated, cooled, massage, have this cocoon with the shades that go around everywhere. It's definitely not set up for that practice yet but eqs rides unbelievably well and would be perfect for a chauffeur situation um, but they don't quite have that same you know as the full s class or a seven executive option in the back for it gotcha so before we jump into some other electric cars tell me about the um 
So you drove the i4 and iX there, a quick ride there. Tell me what you think about the two cars. So let's start maybe with the iX since you mentioned it. Yeah, iX. Wow, what a car! I did. This is such a surprise. So what did me. you like about it? Let's let's just start with that. I mean, let's ignore the design and all of that because it's. I know. So I like the design. I think it looks yeah. good. Um, I, it's totally grown on me, and and honestly, I'm actually in the market for this type of car. And if you really? get an iX on the 22s, you black it out, and then you get the bronze accents around. It's like 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. That thing looks hot, especially from the back. I think it's one of the best-looking cars from the rear on sale, believe it or not. The mm -hmm. front's a little bit yeah. awkward, but it will grow on you over time, maybe. I don't know. With the new M3, it's sort of grown on me, the grill and stuff. It's all played out. I don't even like talking about the design so much. But the yeah, car itself here. was such a shock because – in my eyes, you know, I've owned three i3s. I've owned a whole bunch of other BMWs as well. The most recently I, I had uh, was 2016. I took delivery of the first M3 competition package in the U.S., which was awesome. So the F80. And oh, nice. um, you guys actually wrote a little thing on it, I believe. So that was cool. Did this, we? This, yeah, this was really? back before I got into reviewing cars. But, um, really? Yeah. So I this, don't remember that. Yeah, so this was a few years ago. But, you know, I was in Jersey right you still have headquarters. It? No, no, no. I sold this a while they ago. Don't. Okay. I only had it for a year and uh, didn't, didn't actually end up loving the car, but that's, well, that's another topic. <laughs> um, IX though. So, so what I wanted to do is preface, I'm a BMW guy at heart, love the brand deeply. And over the last few years, I would say I've been the most disappointed in BMW than any other brand because i3 was such a transformative vehicle, although very odd, very ugly, not a very niche product, but I've owned three of those, loved them. Actually, I did own an i3 just recently, so that was the last one I owned. And, um, you know, I feel like that was such an innovative car at the time. You had the CFRP, you had really good motor design, you had interesting interior uh, arrangements, and then BMW just stopped on EVs. And then there was like nothing. Everyone else, you have Tesla coming out, Model 3, proving that people actually do buy, whether or not as an enthusiast you have to like the car or not. But I've seen tons more Model 3s on the road than I have brand new 3 Series, like 10X. And I remember when the... F33 series launched. I think that's the generation back in 2011. Oh, um, F30, yeah. They were on every corner. There were white ones, every corner, all over New Jersey, Connecticut. Now it's all Model 3s. I just think like if yeah. you told BMW 10 years ago in a board meeting that Model 3s would be taking over the 3 Series market, they would laugh at you. They wouldn't believe it. And here we are. I think they were told, but... <laughs> yeah. So, so basically that, that sets the tone where, where I feel about BMW's electrification strategy, which was like non-existent. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to survive if everyone goes EV. And now the iX launches. So this is the first dedicated platform for a BMW vehicle, uh, battery electric platform dedicated since i3. And it is stellar. So many things about this car are wonderful. First off, battery pack, 107-ish kilowatt hours, perfect size for an SUV. Charging speed, 200 kilowatt peak, right in line with where it should be. I mean, I think anything under 200 would be unacceptable. And i3 was always a slow-charging EV at 50 kilowatts. So now, okay, we got some power going into this thing. We'll have to analyze the curve, see how long it can hold 200 for, but that's the nerdy stuff I'll get into when I can test it properly. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And so iX is, is you know, seemingly really well thought out. There's great settings. There's great data to the end user about thermals, about range, about, you know, getting the, you know, you're comfortable with it, good route planning, factoring in many conditions to get you to the charging stations. And 
driving it was such a surprise. It has single pane glass, but it's the quietest EV I think I've ever been in. So that was really impressive. Um, you know, unique, uh, you know, interior design in a great way that it's like such a innovative place to be. It's like you let designers figure out what a car should be and sort of ignore some of the traditional BMW norms. Little thing like the seat adjustments are now on the door panels, which I've never seen in a BMW before. And so it's a fresh approach and it works and it drives really well. Not sporty. I drove the 50i. Um, you know, it, it, it still, it has DSC sport, but not off, which I think sacrilege. Mm -hmm. You should be able to go full off in any BMW. And uh, even if it's not a performance one, so that, that was annoying. But even in, in DSC Sport, when you chuck it around, naturally it's a little bit of an oversteering bias. It doesn't push too much, um, but it's, it's not meant to be a performance car. But I really think that this is the best electric SUV on the market, better than e-tron, better than Model X. Um, and, and really the, the things we need to see are how's the thermal management when you drive it hard? How does it charge? And, uh, you know, sort of what's the real world efficiency compared to those competitors. Yeah, so here's a little insight into the driving experience of the iX. So I drove it in Germany last year and I was chatting with uh, one of the top guys that was in charge of the project. And they actually um, decided to make the car a little softer on purpose. So they were debating for a while if they should go like full blown ultimate driving machine, you know, and that sporty ride or trying to cater to a demographic that wants more of a comfortable, you know, electric car or maybe like something like a Range Rover, right? like softer, right? And they actually went with that uh, by choice. Um, I don't know which side is right or not, but I actually liked it. I don't think Nico has driven it yet, but I, but I actually liked it. It was just refreshing. It was comfortable to drive, uh, not bouncing me around, but um, I didn't push it really hard either, honestly, and I don't do that with EVs much because I think it defeats the purpose. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you nailed on all the points. I think it's a, it's a great product. My only uh, main concern with the iX is that it's only going to be used once on that particular platform, and that's it. So... Um, and now they're changing all the strategy 2025, so there'll be some other stuff. But I'm hoping that they will get a full seven, eight years, you know, of, uh, of, of production. Well, this is, this is the problem with BMW, I think. And I think it was them just lacking future planning about 10 years ago. You know, we had this strategy when i3 launched. Then there was, you know, which was battery electric platforms need to be the case. And then we'll move on. Then we had a CEO changeover. And it was one platform can do everything from series hybrid to mild hybrid to combustion to hydrogen, to whatever, you know, put it in there. Have it run on unicorn yeah. farts. I don't know. One chassis. Then now we're starting to, to see a shift towards, oh, wait, that actually doesn't work for efficiency. Let's have dedicated chassis. And this IX is proof that you get a better car that way. You can tune it differently. You can get it to the, the demographic you want. Same, same thing that, that you mentioned, Horatio. Yeah, it's soft, but not in a bad way. You don't need a hardcore car every day. And I think this is the kind of yeah. car that you'll drive daily or your spouse will drive daily and you'll have your M4 GTS out for the weekends or something like this. And so, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of comfortable daily driving and then a really fun car to rip up in the canyons in, in the weekends. Mm. Even to this point, I've driven every EV on the market. There's nothing that really excites you to drive hard. Uh, you know, there's nothing like yeah. rowing your own gears and having a combustion engine screaming away. Okay. But you know, as a daily device, this iX is really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I think we can sit around here and you know talk about the, what's the right strategy and all of that. But if you look at their sales over the last few years, they're showing that they were right on having a, a modular platform and offering a, 
a product for everyone, right? So I don't think they were wrong. Um, yeah, but they didn't have an EV up until now. I know that's that's the main problem, and I think that i three and i eight was such a huge investment. I mean, unofficial numbers mention I don't know two billion euros basically. So it was a huge investment in C- in CFRP, and uh, and I love the i threes. I've had four, mm. and I still have one. Great car, and, and I love that platform. Yeah, but it's just I don't think it's you can build cars that are uh, profitable by using just CFRP. Yeah. I mean, as much as I want well, to. Well, they proved so I think that's the what case. they realized. <laughs> I mean, they could exactly. have probably made a better realized. case if they made it look a little more traditional, yeah. but it works. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I actually, so that's another story. I mean, you haven't seen our podcast before, but uh, we had a chat, Nico and I, with uh, Chris Bangle, and he was saying that when he left BMW, the i3 looked significantly different. Interesting. So I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if it was more of a traditional shape or not, but uh, after he left, apparently they changed the design. One day I want to find out, may, maybe when nobody cares about the i3 anymore, I want to find out what that car really looked like. Right? The original renderings. But, um, yeah, but we do a lot of back and forth, and I talked to Nick about this, you know, Tesla and all these EVs and that. I still think it's a long game. I, I don't think it's... It's something that we'll talk about the next, you know, 20, 30 years. It's not something that's, you know, if you don't go full EV by 20, 30, you're done. And it just doesn't work like that. Because if you look at the sales, they sell so many cars in, you know, underdeveloped markets where owning an EV, it's not feasible. And I get that. And honestly, even when I look at Chicago, that's another topic that I always bring up. There's just not enough charging stations in, in, in Chicago, even for my i3. I mean, I can literally count on two hands, basically, how many charging stations I can find today, which is ridiculous. Yeah, so, so your, your um, point's yeah. 100% correct. The cars are good. The infrastructure sucks. And yeah. the, the problem with the infrastructure, we, I mean, I could talk for six hours about why EVs aren't going to happen on a dime because I totally agree. It's a long game. I don't know what the time frame is, whether it's five years, 10 years, 50 years. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there is a time frame. But right now, the problem is if you and I wanted to go into business and you know fuel cars or you know put energy into cars, whether that was with petrol being combustion or electric – you don't make much money on the gas side of things at the gas pump, right? But at least every time you fuel up a vehicle, you're not losing money. That's, you know, maybe yeah. you're selling at cost or just over, and you hope someone comes in and buys a bag of chips or whatever it is, and that's your business model is a convenience store plus fueling station. With electric vehicle charging, I was talking specifically DC fast charging north of 150 kilowatts, which is you know pretty much going to be the bare minimum for any off-highway road trip ability. I still think at home uh, or inner city charging level two, there is a business case for that, but that's for another day. What we really need is fast charging to get cars around on road trips and stuff. And there is literally no way we could purchase the equipment, permit to have it put in, run all the conduit, and then fuel vehicles with electricity at high power levels with demand charges and make any kind of profit without government assistance. And so if, it, if the business model doesn't work, I think from a fueling standpoint, this is just a fun world we're living in, playing with these battery cars. It works now. I think now is the best time to own an electric car, actually, because you roll up to charging stations. They're not completely full. There aren't lines. And you can actually get around. In five, six, seven years from now, when more EVs are unsold, when I4s and IXs are out in big numbers and other cars like Bolts and Leafs and these become even cheaper, and, you know, cheaper typically, you know, at least here outside of major cities means you may live in an apartment complex without home charging. So you're relying more on the public infrastructure more just sure. as an example. Um, that's going to suck because there's no business case to put more chargers in. 
So all these companies want to show is we can get you from New York to L.A. or from L.A. to San Francisco because we have the chargers. What they're not saying is here's our utilization rate. Here's how long you're going to have to wait. You can just get there and you may have to wait. So this is the problem in my eyes is the infrastructure. The cars aging seem to be doing really well. That was a concern early on. I'm about to do um, I, I bought a car to do like sort of a long-term test on. We bought a Model 3 Performance. We've beat the crap out of it. We've taken it to track days. It's probably has 5,000 track miles on it, actually, like a ton. Um, it's been supercharged, been road tripped, it's been off-roaded. It's tore up really about as hard as you could drive a car we have. And I think it's probably only lost about 7 or 8% battery capacity would be my guess. But I'll find out this week. So they, they hold up for a while. It's, it's a pure infrastructure game. And Tesla got it right as in... They pay and they front the cost to run a great network with the superchargers. It's vertically integrated. It works every time. It's reliable. They're at usually pretty good locations, and they make zero money from that. They'll never make a dime from it, but it sells more Teslas. And so that's where you can have a business case to run an infrastructure. For sure, Tesla's supercharger network is by far and away uh, the biggest draw for Tesla. And um, honestly, if, as cool as the iX is and so many other uh, electric cars are, it's hard to make a case for them without, you know, uh, the supercharger network because it's just like my mom just bought an electric car and, you know, charging it outside of her house is difficult. It's it, And she just lives in a regular suburban New Jersey town and it's really kind of a pain in the ass. So I totally get, um, you know, the hesitancy and, and BMW and other brands thinking it is a long game. But Tesla, like you said, is was ahead of everyone with that. Yeah, what everyone else is doing with the exception of Rivian is relying on existing networks, whether it's EVgo, ChargePoint, or Electrify America to you know act as the charging liaison between the automaker and the end user, the customer. At the end of the day, any charger will charge anyone's car except for the supercharger network. Teslas can use EA, they can use EVgo, they can use ChargePoint. No one else can use Tesla's fast supercharger network. Uh, and that might change. I mean, we've heard uh, rumors of Tesla opening up their network. We've seen a pilot in Europe, which is a little bit easier because they already have CCS plugs on them, which is the global standard that EVs use. Tesla in the U.S. has a proprietary connector. Um, so hardware-wise, it's a bit of a challenge. I don't think it's that big of a deal. You can make adapters or put new cables on. It's not, not the end of the world. Um, the big question becomes, will these third-party charging companies, whether it's Volkswagen Group with Electrify America or ChargePoint, which really just sells their unit, doesn't really operate their network, or EVgo, which I think has been struggling to find their place in, in the charging world, which one of those will have the, the funding, the desire, and the real, I would say, power to build out their network to support all of these EVs? At the end of the day, we see all these announcements of, companies, Ford, GM, et cetera, that are like, we're going to be all electric by X date. And I guarantee you none of that's ever going to happen. I mean, I just think it's a page one story now where they're going electric and then it'll be a page 11 story in five years when that's you know going to be walked back on. And hopefully I'm wrong. I like electric cars personally as a car enthusiast. I'm not really an EV enthusiast. I'm a combustion guy who just happens to cover EVs. But I think, you know, why, why drive around a little garbage four-cylinder Chevy Trax every day when I can just have an electric car? And if I can charge it home in the office, that's fine. Um, combustion is here to stay, though, for the weekends. You know, people ride horses for fun. We're going to be out there shifting gears, burning rubber on the weekends, ripping up canyons. Uh, but, you know, just like driving from my house to the office, uh, you know, I test two or three cars a week. 
Um, yeah, to me, I'm like, well, I don't need a combustion engine to get me there. I'll just, and electric's easier. It's a cheat code. I can rip around in traffic. No one yeah. hears me coming. You can drive like an idiot. No one knows. I mean, there are benefits to both, but yeah, I, I think the real solution here or the real goal to get to is to have everyday normal people who don't care about cars, they should just drive an EV. Why not? Just, you know, that go for it. And then for the guys that are into cars, probably everyone listening to this podcast, you know, driving, I drive an electric car every day, I say, so I have enough fuel on the weekends to have fun when I'm older. Yeah, you'd be surprised, actually. Our audience is actually quite into electric cars. I mean, we've covered the topics quite a bit, but I guess a lot of consumers today, and especially BMW customers, I feel like they have some sort of a combustion engine car, and then they also have a plug-in hybrid or an electric car. And I think you will see that more and more. I mean, I'm, I'm a use case also. I have a combustion engine car. And I have an i3. I've had i3. What do you think about plug-in hybrids as a whole? It's a good middle ground for people that want to get into electrification. If they want to kind of test out the waters, that's kind of how I feel it. I, I, in the U.S., I don't think people care about the uh, the fuel consumption savings. I think that's more of a European thing because you can really get some really good mileage out of your or you know uh, kilometers out of that in uh, in Europe, where it's so expensive. But in the U.S., I don't, I don't think people buy because it's more fuel efficient. I think they just want to get used to the electrification. So. If you get 30 to 50 miles, I don't know if some of them get 50 miles, but if you get some of that and you can experiment with daily driving, what it means to charge the car, drive electric and all of that, I think they're good. So it's just a middle ground. But I feel like BMW has also done, has also done hybrids mostly because they had to um, um, comply with all those you know, CO2 emission laws you know, globally and especially in uh, uh, Europe, and that was the main driver. Um, but they're fine. I mean, I drove some hybrids that were super fun to drive. I, I don't know if I would own one. I would rather have two cars, like a combustion and a fully electric. But I think for some people, it's a, it's, it's a good choice. I agree. So I've been having this internal debate for like the last five years, and I don't think I've ever or ever will come up with a decision whether or not plugins are good. I think it's a solution for something no one's asked for before. I, I, I don't know if anyone's ever approached me and said, hey, Kyle, I want a car. It needs to do at least 30 miles full electric, and then I want a gas engine to go farther. Usually they're like, I just want a car that accomplishes X, and however it can accomplish that is fine. Plug-in hybrids, I think, are a solution to a government regulation, like you mentioned, uh, and more than anything. So, like for example, you—I was just in Munich for the, for a month recently, and so you know, you see BMW plug-ins everywhere. I mean, every BMW is a plug-in, yeah. and that's because you get a huge tax incentive. You can drive the car in Umwelt zones. You can do everything with it. Um, I would struggle to believe if. 30% of them even plugged in their cars ever. So then they got huge tax credits. The batteries are sitting empty and they're probably getting worse fuel economy than just a regular combustion car because now you're hauling around all that extra weight in there. And so I, I'm with you, Horatio. I think having a small range city EV, I3, electric smart car, 500E, um, you know, even a Leaf if you really want to hate yourself, something to just drive around you know, from your house to the office to run errands, 90% of your daily life should be electric. And then I think you need a road tripper. And I think that's the best solution for most people today. For me, I actually prefer to road trip an electric car. One, because I can make content with it. It's interesting. Two, it actually is something to look forward to. It's how's the car going to charge? How's the infrastructure going to work? But I'm a very rare use case where I want to test it every time I charge. I want to know, can the car handle max charging rate over and over? You know, I'm constantly learning. For someone like sure. my mom, who's just trying to get from New York to Florida for the winter, 
She just wants to get there. And right now, no question, EVs are slower and it's more of a hassle than a combustion car. They could make for a fun road trip, though, right? You can split it and, you know, stop in some places and do that. I mean, you don't have to go in one go, right? I mean, that's the nice part about, you know, some of those road trips. Yeah, I absolutely love road tripping an EV. And, and honestly, I get bored when I have to road trip a combustion car because I'm like, oh, I'm just driving. And then I'll let me stop and I'll drive. But with an EV, it's like, okay, it's, it's a mind game. It's let me charge up just enough to make it to my next destination, still driving at speed. And then you're monitoring wind and all this stuff to maximize efficiency. At least I have because I'm a nerd. And uh, mm -hmm. absolutely love just reeking it out, pulling in at 1% state of charge every time. So you get the fastest charging down low in the battery pack. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unique. My, my good friend Timon's over here, too. He and I uh, set the cannonball record, which has recently been broken in a Porsche Taycan. We had done it before mm -hmm. in a Model 3, so we've road tripped Tesla. We proved CCS will, actually was a viable way to get across the country uh, with the Taycan run, and that was faster than the Tesla. And now a Tesla has reclaimed it with the new Model S. And, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just it's a fun game. But I, yeah. I, I don't know how many people actually just want to play a game on a road trip or just get to where they're going. True. Now let's st uh, step back a little bit and back to the, uh, maybe to the i4. So we talked about the iX, you know, that being the um, dedicated platform, but tell me about the i4 because that's a compromise uh, in between two different, you know, worlds kind. I mean, um, it's a flexible platform to call it that way. So what was your take on that? Yeah, so I actually, it was great because just before I drove the i4 and went to CCS, I reviewed the M440i Grand Coupe. And um, great spec on that one too. It was green with tan interior. It was so hot. San Remo green, I think is what it's called. Looked amazing yeah, here in Colorado with the snow in the background. It was awesome. Um, it was odd though, that M440i that I reviewed actually had no power seats, which I think was a misbuild. But the story behind that is there was a misconfiguration on quite a few 4 Series Grand Coupe cars that were ordered with manual seats instead of automatic. And um, it wasn't just press cars. There was actually some customer cars too. And I think there were a few stories out on that. But um, yeah, Nico wrote the article and I didn't, you know... Uh, check in with him before that because I knew the story from BMW before but that's kind of the story behind that interesting yeah I, I figured it was like an order book thing or a chip shortage I was like I don't think it's meant to have manual seats but I love that it did because I love weird cars I didn't mind the fact that they were there it just seems odd to me that like a almost $70,000 car had a manual driver's seat I just thought that was kind of weird and I had never actually I've never seen a manual driver's seat BMW uh in America I hadn't seen one in ages like it was just kind of took me by surprise a little bit but it turns out yeah, I got an email from the BMW. They're like, no, 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 it's not a, that's not how they come. There was a, it was a mess up. So, yeah. Yeah, that was so funny. And uh, I, I actually liked it. So like for me, right, it's not supposed to be here. It's a little bit of like a foreign market situation. And I just like, I love the weird unicorn stories of stuff like that. Um, I'd be curious to see what they do in the future, whether they retrofit the uh, electric seats in there. My guess would be no. My guess would be they'll probably give the owners a credit of 500 bucks probably, or something yeah. like that. So I had the chance to, to review the M440i uh, before driving the i4. Loved the M440i. I thought the, the engine calibration that they put with that mild hybrid system, great exhaust note, pops and crackles. It was definitely one of the hotter tunes on it. 
Interestingly, it had a hotter tune than the M240i xDrive I drove after. M240i, no pop-pops, no crackles, no excitement, no farts on the upshift under load. And uh, I was so disappointed with the engine and drivetrain tune. I know you can just plug it into a computer and fix it, uh, you know, aftermarket. But the M440i was awesome. The thing was rowdy and loved it. So then I get in the i4. And everything's pretty much familiar, right? It sits a little bit higher because you have the battery pack underneath the vehicle. So if you lower it, make sure, you know, your battery is somewhat protected. A lot of people are like really concerned about battery punctures. I'm not one of them after, you know, sort of skidding my Model 3 on rocks and my smart electric on stuff. They're pretty strong, I, but don't take any advice from me. Um, but okay. if you do lower it, it needs to be. I mean, it sits too high. So that was my first annoyance with the M i4 M50 not I because it's not a combustion engine. <laughs> the naming is wild exactly. on these. And, uh, but I have to say, like, interior was great. It had the new iDrive system in it with the squared off screen. It looked awesome. Uh, you know, I have some issues with the new iDrive sort of usability and function accessibility. Um, but, but that's not unlike any other automaker in the world. Even Tesla just sent an update to my car that ruined it, in my opinion. They put the heated seats like two menus deep, and it used to be on the front face. So really? who knows what people yeah. are doing these days. But i4 was yeah. awesome, incredibly powerful, felt really yeah. solid, um, you know, way, way more power than, than M440i, and so really loved the acceleration. It's interesting that if you're buying a Grand Coupe 4 Series, the fastest one is the electric one. And I was like, wow, that's yeah. pretty wild. So they definitely turned it up to 11 with this drivetrain. Um, you know, the interior is pretty much the same. Love the hatchback, love everything about that car. Except there is a major, major issue with it. Thankfully, it can be overrided. But this is if you're driving the car and you're coming out of a turn and you still have lock on the wheel and you're applying throttle, it does torque limitation by steering angle. And uh, I, I noticed the same thing in the 540i xDrive I had on loan about a year ago now. And uh, what, what happens is, is if you have steering lock on, a couple degrees or something like this, and you go full throttle, actually limits full power. And then as you come back to center, it gives you the full beams. Uh, yeah. And it does this in DSC on and uh, dynamic traction control. And thankfully, if you go full DSC off, it gives you max power no matter the wheel angle. DSC off, though, Perfect. still has uh, traction control enabled to a degree because what you don't want to have happen with an EV because you don't have a gear limitation, there's no like red line that it can run into, is if you're on a low mu surface, a really slippery surface, and your tire's doing a million miles an hour, when you then transfer to a high mu surface, it can snap axles or rear carriers. Remember i3s early on would snap yeah. all the mm -hmm. motor mounts because of yeah. this? And so I think BMW is yeah. overly cautious with their motor mounts or half shaft uh, stability because of that i3 issue back in the day would be my guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, for yeah. me, i4 M50 was awesome. It just has to be DSC off to drive it at all. Because anytime I was coming out of a corner, I'd foot down. It would be nothing, 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 straighten the wheel, power down. Yeah, well, traction control all off is, you know, common M guy thing anyway, right? M car, M car guys, but they do the first thing they do, right? Traction yeah, control M2 all the way off. So is, it's deal. DSC off. <laughs> right, yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, totally agree. So if you're an enthusiast, there's an override. That's the big thing. But the everyday driving, I just think they're so much more conservative than any other EV on controlling wheel spin or torque steer or what exactly they're trying to do by this torque limitation than anyone else. Um, but, but really loved the car. Again, quiet, 
comfortable. It wasn't too harsh of a ride, I thought. I really only drove it around the city, so I'm looking forward to getting it out on track in the canyons because this is an EV that blends daily drivability with some fun. And uh, I know you guys can't see it, but right out of my front view, I have some of the best driving roads in the country right where I live. So uh, I'm always excited when I have a BMW here to review because I can shred it up all the roads and have a good time. And, and naturally, they're all pretty well balanced. The i4 was no exception. I'm looking forward to driving the rear-wheel drive at some point in the future as well because both for iX and i4, the big question for me is what is the efficiency like? i4, of course, is a combustion chassis that's adapted to be battery electric. Typically, from what we've seen, is these are not the most efficient configurations, but there are exceptions to the rule. The original Hyundai Ioniq, not the 5, but earlier, is the most efficient EV I've ever tested, and that was a combustion car. So there are ways that you can work magic. So I'm hoping it's good in efficiency. I'm hoping it's good on a road trip. I'm hoping it can handle its thermal management pretty well because when you drive I3s hard, as you know, they overheat pretty quickly. When you drive them in cold weather, they get too cold and they don't like to work. Yeah. So. I'm looking forward to doing some thermal testing on these, and then, then I'll have some final opinions on them. But both cars, high praises from me on first impressions, really good natural driving dynamics, really good natural ba uh, balance. Mm -hmm. And I think the i4 um, was, was a real big surprise with DSC off of just how nice that car was and how it actually encouraged you to put your foot down and drive you know, a little bit uh, you know, like BMW drivers like to do a little bit quickly through traffic. You're getting me all excited about that drive. I might have to come to uh, Colorado and do a collaboration, long-term video. Oh, you, know, you should. On, on the we have, uh, Maybe we we have the best area for testing cars. That's why we moved here, because we have massive drastic temperature changes from crazy hot to crazy cold. We have a yeah. almost one-mile-long drag strip runway situation that we nice. have here for thermal testing. And, um, yeah, cool. it's the perfect spot. Nice. Now, let me ask you a final question on the i4. Um, what's your thought on the range of the car? Uh, well, I don't remember offhand what the EPA range was. I think it goes max of 300, and then most of them are like 270, mid, mid to high. I think it's 300 on the um, on the eDrive 40 or whatever it's called, yeah. uh, um, the rear-wheel drive, and I think 270, 280 maybe on the i4 M50. Yeah, but okay. this is EPA-rated range, and because there's so many variabilities, we don't know what the real world will be. Some exceed True. EPA, especially if it's a two-cycle test instead of a five. You have to remember some automakers run a completely different run cycle than others. So when you say an Audi e-tron has X range and a BMW i3 has X range, they're actually run completely different tests, and there's no relevance between the two. And so that's why I test every electric car at 70 miles an hour from a full charge until it won't move anymore. And that way I can have a consistent testing basis. It's not fully scientific. It's the real world temperature changes, uh, things like this. Yeah. But at least gives us a really good idea as to whether you can expect to get close to the EPA highway range or not. Um, city range typically doesn't matter in an electric car because they're all good. And if you're in the city, you're not doing 500 miles on a charge. You're going to be plugging it in every night or going out to dinner and plugging it in. So I focus on highway road trip range. And uh, that, that to me is really important and can uh, vary wildly both with IX and I4 because I don't think we've seen any U.S. independent range testing yet. Not yet. The press cards are not out yet, but I think soon, soon we should... Um should see yeah, them. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be 
Yeah, it'll still. be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if iX is actually more efficient than i4 um, just because it's a ground-up chassis. I'm just, you know, just spitballing here. But I think yeah. i4 might be compromised. On the other hand, though, i3 was incredibly efficient, and BMW knows how to work efficiency with their plug-in hybrids, too, which are actually more efficient on the highway than in the city. Only EV, uh, PHEVs I've ever tested that get more range at 70 than they do in the city tests. Um, that's because yeah, of the pancake motors between the transmissions, so you get that gear reduction uh, benefit of being in eighth gear while cruising around. Mm -hmm. So they could have worked some magic, and I can't wait to see what they've yeah. done. Yeah, cool. What's your take on the i3 and the used car market? Mm. Is, I, I see a lot of people chasing them down now, right now. I, they feel like uh, they missed out and now they're trying to, uh, to scoop totally up. Totally agree. Else. Do you remember when a battery electric 60 amp hour i3 was like eight grand? <laughs> now they're so like cheap. 15 for the worst I one know. and like 21 yeah. for like a 90 amp hour, like a good one. And these aren't even range extenders. Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah. not the time to buy any used car or, you know, maybe new car if you can buy that sticker. Um, but it's not the time to yeah. buy any used car. It's the time to sell everything you have. We're definitely in a bubble. I don't think we'll ever see the numbers return to where they were. And I predicted this back in the yeah. time too, um, where, you know, you could buy an electric smart car for four or five grand. You could buy a Fiat 500e for four or five grand. You could buy an i3 for eight or nine. And yeah. I don't think we'll ever see a return to those numbers, even just because of more electric car awareness, more infrastructure going on. Those cars' inherent values will increase as the infrastructure goes up. There was a um, um, LAPD auction yeah. a few years back with some of their uh, i3 fleet, and there were some insane deals there. I mean, they were like really low mileage Yeah, cars, but they were all they were like so, so base and on the terrible sand dollar wheels. I know. I Actually, all my i3s are on the no same way. wheels. No way. You I have the really wheel and you're them. alive? Totally fine with them, honestly. Uh, That's wild. I always okay. had to have the, actually, the, uh, main... the 20s on them, although yeah. my last one had the 19s on it. But how? But then I have to deal with, uh, with the winter tires, right, and wheels. Now I have to get a separate set for winter now, instead of just having one set of wheels and I just change Doesn't the Bridgestone make a specific winter tire? Because I put them on the 19-inch wheels. They make one for, for the 19 only, but there is, from what I know, there is no winter tire in 20-inch for an i3. So Nokian, that's the one that I have yep. on, or Nokian. Yeah, they're a sponsor it's, of it's our called. channel. They're great. Oh no! Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're awesome. So they've been uh, they've been sending me wheels for the uh, tires for the last few years, like on the i3, and I love them. But they only make them in 19, so huh. that's why I never really upgraded to 20s. Of course, I could get a separate set, but then I have to deal with you know storage space and all of that, and that's the reason why I did not want to. But yeah, the 20 inch looks great. I mean, it looks better on the on the on the i3, especially if you get the i3s type. Yeah. Oh, you know? i3. So I I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, okay, I, I now have a commute because we have this new office space. I've never had to really commute before, yeah. and my commute when I lived in North Carolina was like 80 miles one way. So an EV, you know, it needed to be a long range EV. But now I have a short inner city commute, and I'm going to be riding e-bikes on nice days. But now it's kind of like, ooh, a blacked out i3s with the nice fender flares. This would be a really cool car to have just because that's yeah. the pinnacle for me of i3. Get the big battery plus the range extender. I can do my airport runs in it. They look sinister, uh, but it's not the time to buy a used car. So you just, just can't do that. Yeah, I agree. 
So we don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I think we should do this in a, you know, part one and part two maybe. So part two, we'll talk about some other stuff because I had a lot more questions to ask so we can break this down. But I definitely want to get your take next time on some of the EV pickup trucks that, you know, you've been tested. Yeah. You know, those are interesting and see if there is a future there. So there are a lot more topics. I think by that time, Nico will probably get his hands on an i4 and iX. I definitely want to hear what he thinks about that because I was the only one fortunate to drive them so far. So I think we should definitely plan for a uh, for a second podcast and get into a lot more detail because I definitely want to hear more from you next time also on the uh, on the charging capabilities of cars and how that affects battery in long term. Maybe you have some insight into that. I think that's an interesting topic that not a lot of people talk about it today because you know you. We keep talking about fast charging and how cool it is, but we never talk about the effect of that on the battery long term and the expectations of someone owning an EV for a very long time. So I think this will be really cool to cover next Yeah, happy, happy to go more in depth and with what I know at least. I'm not a battery chemistry expert, um, but I've done enough real-world testing, spoken to enough battery chemistry experts to at least have a rough idea of how to explain how fast charging can degrade an electric car or not degrade because I, I bet it's less than what you're thinking. Right, gotcha. All right, so thanks for joining us. Tell us once again where people can find you so um, they can go check out all of your cool videos. Oh, yeah, we don't really have like a good spot that – because we do 53 videos a week right now. It's really hard to get everyone wow. to watch all of them. So what I would do is just uh, – you know, you can just follow me on Twitter if you like pictures of Volvo wagons in my city from time to time. Uh, it's just <laughs> at It's Kyle Connor. Uh, but, yeah, I mean if you just look up out of spec, you'll find some of our stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Kyle, and I uh, always appreciate your time and uh, expertise. Yeah, this was fun. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Bye.